Live from New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Knoll. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us. Today, we're going to explore why red wine could fend off prostate cancer, folk remedies that can heal bed sores, workouts that boost function of insulin-making cells, helping diabetics and pre-diabetics, lowering your bad cholesterol with fish oil and red yeast rice instead of statins. Scientists are now discovering that sea buckthorn, an herb, protects your liver from toxins. And a lot more on health and healing. Lots of commentary, some from my own and from others. We're going to take a look at a lot of corruption in the vaccine field, and uh, one scientist may sp- spend 20 years in prison over faked AIDS, AIDS vaccine. We're also going to look at America's $1 trillion national security budget that no one on the left or right within Congress is willing to challenge. A special commentary on the foundation of American empire by Professor James Petrus. The Student Loan Crisis, a personal memoir by Christopher Scones of Weekend Edition, and Killing Machines and the Madness of Militarism, from Gaza to Afghanistan by Professor Henry Giroux. And of course, throughout the entire hour, we'll be taking your calls with your input, your suggestions, your questions, your opinions. That number is 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. Also, we have a lot of people listening over the telephone. In fact, I've received emails of people who say they went on vacation, and each day, they, depending upon where they're at in the United States, they'd just dial the number, put it on speaker, and listen in. You can too. Always have this number available. If you listen over the internet, fine. If you listen on a land-based station, fine. But you can always hear it at 401-347-0456. That's 401-347-0456. If that should be busy, which at times it has been, there's a rollover number. It's a different number. It's 712-432-7231. 7231. Let's begin. We know that that there are chemicals within wine that are extremely beneficial. Resveratrol, res, R-E-S, vera, V-E-R-A, trol, T-R-O-L, generally from 100 to 300 milligrams. New research shows that drinking one glass of red wine, and if you are, make it organic, without sulfates. Otherwise, you're going to get sulfates, and sulfates can be extremely problematic for breathing and for your lungs. It's a very strong preservative. But the quality of organic with low alcohol and no chemicals is what you want. This shows it could help reduce the risk of men developing prostate cancer. Researchers at University of Alabama at Birmingham found that that this was true in a laboratory experiment. It reduced by 87% the likely development of the deadly type of prostate cancer. In addition, the researchers found that that mice which were fed resveratrol were still, uh, but still got cancer, developed less serious tumors. 
and 48% were more likely to have tumor growth halted or slowed when compared to mice not given it. Now, I would suggest that whatever is in a glass of wine, you get far more, two to three to four times more, in eating the grapes. So eat organic grapes, or better still, because the grapes are one of nature's most perfect foods. The skin, the seed, is where the benefit is. But then also have some grape juice or grape concentrate. That's even the best still. So get your grapes. Now, I was not aware until I was doing my research for death by medicine how many Americans die in an average year from bed sores, from what we call ulcers, the legs, and it's in the tens of thousands. One year it was over 80,000. And by the way, that's just what we know of from those who die in hospitals. We do not have statistics for those who die in nursing homes, uh, from bed sores, or private facilities. So it's going to be much higher. According to Amy Norton and from Reuters, a traditional Finnish folk medicine derived from spruce trees can help in this process. Now, a bed sore is nothing more than a pressure ulcer. And that's mainly because a lot of people who are bedridden have limited mobility. And uh, so they're in a wheelchair or they're in a bed. And then the constant pressure on skin causes reduced blood flow and then the death of skin cells and eventually open wounds. There was a conference that I sponsored in 1972 at the Waldorf Astoria, I invited the finest nutrition researchers in the world. From Canada came the Shute brothers, and they presented evidence of 3,000 patients that they had healed using vitamin E. One of the slides they put up were people who had gangrene, mainly from diabetes, and by having them take the vitamin E at very high doses and putting it also on the sores, they showed these remarkable reverses of gangrene. Bed sores were also benefited by vitamin E. That was my first exposure. They were using amounts that no one in American medicine or American science would use. It would be 30 years before we'd finally realize the reasons that we were not getting good results was because we were using too small a dosage. And that's why the dosage had to be increased. Now, and when it comes to the bed sore, there's a lot that we can do. First, we should be putting some form of magnets on the mattresses. That would help. And then we could have some form of electrical stimulation. That would help. This was published in the British Journal of Dermatology about how people were treated with a resin salve of the, uh, and, and tremendous, oh, 95% of the uh, pressure sores heal within six months. And that is terrific because there's no medicine they have in the United States that will do that. Again, it's, it is, uh, I would use it on MRSA because that's a skin pathogen that kills thousands of people each year and it's resistant to antibiotics. And I would also use other, I would use, oh, I would make up a, a salve using uh, a honey, a raw organic honey, Manuka honey. I would put in there bee propolis. I would also put in there uh, some tea tree oil. That would make a difference. 
So once again, if you want to help people, it is a simple sap made from a traditional spruce tree. And uh, the Norwegian spruce tree resin. That's what, that's what does it. Simple. Workouts boost the function of insulin-making cells. Now think of the number of pre-diabetics and diabetics. A conservative number is 90 million. I believe it's well over 100 million. That's because we have so many people overweight, sedentary, and have poor heart. According to the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism in research at the University of Michigan, sedentary older people are at risk of developing diabetes. And if you get into exercising, power walking, um, versa climbing, which is, in my opinion, the best overall exercise there is, uh, stationary bicycling at the highest resistance, so you really got to pump, you could end up boosting the function of your insulin-making cells and the beta cells. And that happened just after one week of exercise. By the way, the beta cells function is known to decline with age. So my suggestion is the older you are, the more you're, you should be exercising. We have an epidemic in this society of people taking statins. I'm opposed to taking statins. I've looked at the science. I see no benefit to them. I see a lot of harm to them. This is from mainstream science. This is Science Daily. Quote, A great deal of scientific evidence shows that cholesterol-reducing medications known as statins can help prevent coronary artery disease. Although the safety of these medications has been well documented, as many as 40% of patients who receive a prescription for statins, uh, uh, the statins take the drug for less than one year. Doctors believe that several factors, including cost, adverse effects, poor understanding of statin benefits, and patients' reluctance to take prescription medication long-term may explain why some patients stop taking the medications. Um, well, no. One of the reasons people stop taking it is because they get very, good, very bad side effects, and the science does not support their efficacy. They are wrong on that. But there is a good way to lower your cholesterol, and that is by taking fish oils. The fish oils will lower the cholesterol and red yeast rice will lower cholesterol. Taking the two together, there's no reason you should have an elevated cholesterol and I want to see people get off the statins. Now for people who have liver problems, now you can have a whole range of problems with liver. Elevated enzymes, which means that your liver is inflamed, whether it's from taking carbonated beverages with the sugar, the high fructose corn syrup, drinking alcohol, having hepatitis, any number of reasons you can end up with with an infected liver. But the good news is that the sea buckthorn herb can make a big difference. And uh, the sea buckthorn, which grows in the mountains of China and Russia, is rich in flavonoids and essential fatty acids. Its berries are well known for their cholesterol-lowering properties. The leaves are used to make a tea. Now, scientists in India say the herb has even more benefits, that its leaves are rich in antioxidants that protect the liver against damage. So here's my suggestion. If you have hepatitis or sclerosis liver, or if you have a non-fatty liver disease, 
then you should be considering having a protocol including CSEA, Buckthorn, B-U-C-K-T-H-O-R-N. That could help make a difference. And also there's an amazing medical plant that kills malignant tumors and destroys 70% of breast cancer cells, according to Dr. Mariana Poshilli. And I'll, I'll share what she has to say. Quote, Beyond limited empirical observations, not all medicinal plants have established scientific studies to support their effectiveness. However, in the case of the Brucea, that's B-R-U-C-E-A, Javanica, J-A-V-A-N-I-C-A, it is one of those plants in which scientific investigations have provided enough evidence to prove that it has an impressive efficacy for the treatment of cervical, bladder, and pancreatic cancers. Its selective toxicity has also been found to kill 70% of breast cancer cells. Oncologists are still at a loss to find methods of selectively killing cancer cells through the standard protocols of treatment in chemotherapy and radiation. While damaging healthy cells is an inevitable process through most cytotoxic drugs, chemotherapy also triggers them to secrete a protein that sustains tumor growth and resistance to further treatment. As more knowledge and research is being extended to populations confined to conventional allopathic principles, the broad categories of herbal and plant medicines are finally reaching mainstream. And this brucea is one of those plants that needs far more recognition in this category for its incredible ability to selectively kill cancer cells. It's a shrub from Southeast Asia, mainly in Sri Lanka and India, and it's also found in southern China and Taiwan and Thailand, and even northern Australia. It's been the subject of hundreds of scientific and clinical trials, all of them aimed at better understanding two key issues. First, how effective this plant really is, and secondly, if it is so affected, which active constituents are responsible for its anti-cancer properties. Now, it is a, it is a deciduous pl- a shrub or small tree that can grow up to 10 feet with uh, soft-haired twigs and leaves. It prefers open locations. And uh, for millennia, herbal preparations and natural remedies with this have been shown to be effective in treating many types of maladies, including malaria and uh, some forms of amoeba infection, but also cancer. And so has it contains a lot of alkaloids and glycosides and a lot of the natural anti-cancer properties like curcumin also do, and phenols. Uh, and uh, the seeds contain brucetol, and brucine. The pulp oil contains oleic and linoleic acids, and the fruit and leaves contain tannin. There are 153 different compounds that have been isolated from the seeds in the aerial parts of the plant. And uh, a study in the American Journal of Medical Science demonstrated that the aqueous, which is a water-based extract from this plant, was able to induce cell suicide of the cancer cells. The study found that the plant treatment level is was 70% killing of the, of the cancer cells and breast cancer cells. Another study in the American Journal of Chinese Medicine 
from researchers in the Department of Urology um, at the School of Medicine in China found that it significantly induces programmed cell death in bladder cancer cells. Another study from the International Journal of Cancer Letters showed that it uh, found it inhibited the growth of three pancreatic cancer cell lines. And another one that was published in the International Journal of Molecular Medicine demonstrated the antiproliferative and suicidal cell activity in traditional Chinese medicine, meaning it caused cancer cells to die. So, there you have it. Something new, something important, something that people in this society just don't know about, but we like our audience to know about these things because it can save lives. I'm Gary Nall. That's our health and nutrition segment. I'll just uh, take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at some issues and also start to take your calls. Our number again is 888-874-4888. That's 888-874-4888. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay with us. this audience are concerned about not just what's occurring in the Middle East, but all over the world, and what responsibility we, the United States, has in this. Militarism, according to Professor Henry Giroux, it's like a lethal virus that takes as its first victim both historical memory and any sense of moral and social responsibility. In the United States and Israel at the present moment, it is no longer one strain of ideology that permeates these societies. It is a general condition that gives meaning to almost all aspects of life. 
incapable of thinking beyond military solutions to social problems, military absolves individuals and governments. If the general public of the horror produced by the weapons it builds, moreover, just as it erases the memory of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it suggests that the hundreds of children killed in Gaza is a military necessity. If you doubt me, watch Fox News. See how no matter what occurs, how many people die, how many innocent people die, they are irrelevant because they are simply in the wrong place or supportive of those that are being attacked. And we shouldn't accept this. The apostles of militarism offer jobs to the public that engage in the production of organized violence. They preach war as a cleansing solution while they sanitize language of any meaning, erasing the suffering, the misery, the horror inflicted by their drone missiles, the jets, the Apache helicopters, and the bombs. All that is, has to be invoked are the words collateral damage or military necessity, and the death-laden actions produced by the new militarists disappear into the dark vocabulary of authoritarian doublespeak. War is no longer a source of alarm, but pride and has become an organizing principle of many societies. Informed by a kind of primitive tribalism, militarism enshrines a deadly type of masculinity that mythologizes violence and mimics the very terrorism it claims to be fighting. Militarism and war have not only changed the nature of the political order, but the nature and character of American life. When children are killed by Israeli missiles while playing on a beach in Gaza, the horror and sure brutality of the murder sack is wiped away by the crude argument that such needless slaughter is a military necessity. There's no defense for killing children, regardless of whether it is done by the Israeli state, the United States, Hamas, or anyone else. We live in a time in which political illiteracy and moral tranquilization work in tandem to produce the authoritarian subject, willing to participate in their own oppressive and oppressing of others. Thus, the silence over filling our prisons with poor people of color, treating desperate immigrant children as if they were vermin, and allowing elected officials to replace reason with forms of militant religious fundamentalism. What kind of moral arrangements does society give up when there is no outrage over the fact that the United States supplies billions of dollars in armaments to other states and thus is complicit in the killing of young children and others through acts of state terrorism. The militarists come from various political parties and are hooked into a market-driven logic that disdains thinking about social cost or the despair they create. They are unadulterated agents of cruelty and their power serves a corrupt form of casino capitalism that breathes and breeds the ideology and policies of the military-industrial surveillance state. In the United States, trillions of dollars are spent on wars that were based upon and initiated with full lies. At the same time, social services are cut, schools abandoned, infrastructures ignored, so the military can build F-35 jets at the cost of $200 million each, pieces of junk plagued by mechanical failures and a sober witness to the United States' unwillingness to use the money and, and of, of war and violence 
to build a decent democratic society in which vulnerability and care become the watchwords rather than the violence and more. Shame on us for allowing this to occur. The morally reprehensive killing of children in Afghanistan, of Gaza, of Iraq is part of a larger problem, one that haunts the late modern period which is the rise of neoliberal totalitarianism, by which I mean the economic and cultural system that is sutured in its allegiance to money, power, profit, inequality, greed, militarism, and the punishment of the state and the self-interest. But pointing to the new forms of zombie politics of Washington, United States, and other countries is not enough. The question that must be raised is, is, what is it in the United States that produces an inattentiveness to moral outrage, dissent, and mass mobilization. The failure of conscience and the willingness to stand up against the new authoritarianism, whether in Israel, England, France, Greece, or the United States, promotes a flirtation with modes of irrationality that lie at the heart of the triumph of everyday aggression over the slightest semblance of justice. Under such circumstances, war and the over-identification with militarism produces a new kind of national psychosis and collective pathology. We live in the age of killing machines parading under the poison of exceptionalism and empire. We are in the midst of something different in the current historical moment. Democracy is losing its appeal. Fascists are gaining in popularity around the globe, and millions of men and women and children are now considered excess, disposable, because they are dehumanized, considered the other, or fall outside the blessings of a rabid consumerist society. The new breed of politicians unleashed by the Reagan revolution disdain the government, except when it benefits the rich and celebrates individual solutions to larger public issues, rendering individuals vulnerable, powerless, anxious, and disillusioned. Technology rather than ethics, compassion, now provide the answer to society's problem. Data has replaced words. Ethics and, and hard work of the teaching everyone to be able to engage in a ruthless criticism of everything. Right now, there is a YouTube video that a homeless vet sleeping in his van with his assisted dog because he has disability. You watch him as he tries to negotiate with a police officer that he should not be arrested and that he has a right to stay in his van. And yet the police officer is now telling him if he doesn't get out of the van, he will be arrested. And he asks, but um, what, what, what have I done wrong? What, I'm just in a van. There's doesn't say no parking. But now, throughout the United States, one community after another, that means local boards, that means community boards, that means uh, that city councils are saying, we don't want you in our community if you're a vet, you're homeless, you're not a vet, you're homeless, you can't sleep in your car, you can't sleep in your van, we don't want you. Go to hell, get out of here, you're an embarrassment to us. And I say, why have we allowed these people to be empowered to begin with? Because we don't pay attention to what happens when people make their promises and get into power. Look at the corrupt sepsis of the New York City Council and its total history. One of greed. Look at the body politic in New York and New Jersey. These are cesspools where no decent human being would actually go. These are people who put their egos, their narcissistic tendencies ahead of all other ethics and then have meetings with 
private interest groups, and we've seen how many have been perk-worked off to prison. Not enough, in my opinion. When we tell a vet, you can't stay here, we'll arrest you. When you take a homeless person who has nothing and you put them in jail, whose interests are you serving? And this is the human slime that we've elected? Our police officers are acting like fascist cops because they've been allowed to. This is what we've become. Militarism is a new form of illiteracy and psychosis. It is symptomatic of the failure of civic courage because it demands obedience and punishes people who are critical. Anyone who is critical of corporate America or the government is now on a watch list. Every phone call, every email, every communication, every meeting is being monitored. What law have you broken? None. But that doesn't matter. Why haven't we had outrage? Why haven't we had demonstrations? Why haven't the, you know, the corporate shills on MSNBC or the brain-dead drones on National Public Radio, why haven't they brought this up in protest? Why haven't they put themselves on the line? Because they are part of the problem, not the solution. They only pretend to care. Edward Snowden and the courageous whistleblowers are considered traitors because they revealed the massive violation of civil liberties by the government and the existence of an authoritarian surveillance society in which the state and corporations fuse in their attempts to quelch dissent and freedom. Bill Gates is considered a hero, though he may be the most powerful force in the United States, destroying public education and a grotesque symbol of massive inequality. Illiterate militarists, such as the pathetic John McCain, Lindsey Graham, well, the entire Republican Party, and most of the Democrats are given endless airtime, even though their discourse is immersed in the blatant blight of militarism, war, and state violence on people who have no sense of true history or spiritual concern. The reach of violence and death is, is everywhere, permeating the culture like an endless sandstorm that destroys everything it touches. Major articles and even a movie appear in the militarized state praising Ivy League schools, though they produce the criminogenic environments that gave us the intellectual killers. You doubt me? Then challenge me. Come on the show and debate me. And I will show you a rogues gallery of your best and brightest and the ideology that permeated their education that put us into the Vietnam War, that created the Cold War, that was staffing this, the entire bureaucracies with their technocratic skills in Washington, D.C., and have been for over 50 years. And they're the ones who make the deals in the equity partnerships in the Wall Street every day of the week. Some would say that we live in troubled times, and that is only partly true because the times in which we live are more than troubled. They are close to coming to an end as the logic of what we concern about the ecological destruction of the planet is simply not important. No one is doing anything about the environment, and I mean no one in power. Talk about it, it's cheap. Have another meeting on it, have another committee on it, have some hearings on it, say that you care. Yeah, and what exactly have you done? Nothing. 
everything we have learned from the dominant ideologies, vocabularies, values, and social relations must be reexamined, discarded when necessary, and in its place we need a new political language, a new understanding of governance locally and globally. We need to resurrect a radical notion of what we will all have in common, the common good and public values, and I think hard about what work has to be done, not just to survive, but to thrive in a democratically inspired world. Time has overcome us, outpaced our capabilities to slow down and think critically and act courageously. This does not suggest we need to change the world. No, those are cliches by the Gates and Silicon Valley wannabes, the Wall Street agents of conformity. What it does suggest is a notion of social, economic, and political change inspired by a vision of democracy to come a society in which it is reprehensible to consider using torture, killing children as a military necessity, and destroying social benefits to increase the wealth of corporations, hedge fund managers, and bankers who are soulless and a powerful threat to democracy and the planet. Isn't it time to identify the people, institutions, social relations, values, and power relations that constitute the new authoritarianism and to hold them accountable? It is also time to remember the suffering caused by the militarists, the police, in the past. And it's time to remember the struggles waged by working people, women, young people, and others who dare to believe that another kind of vision, another kind of future is possible. But it is up to each of us to find the courage to challenge it. Back in a moment with your calls. 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. Please stay with us. Say hello to Stuart from Los Angeles. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Gary. I'll tell you, I'm uh, real tempted to respond to some things that you said, but i got to stay on point with what I called about. Um, Some time ago, I had told you that I had a number of rescued pets, and uh, basically I would like to be able to get a protocol for them uh, instead of killing them with the food I've been giving them. We have uh, dogs, cats, and rabbits. All right. Well, the best food for rabbits is grass, greens, fresh greens, carrots, carrot tops, beet, beet tops. Um, any of the greens and uh, t- 
tubers they love. It helps them. So that's easy. Most stores, most produce stores in the morning, before they open to the public, get their shipments in. And because they people want things to be perfect, they take any of their day-old produce and they trim it back or throw it away uh, or return it. That's exactly the, the deal that you go in and you say, look, I have some rescued animals. Would you please save your vegetables for me? And more often than not, someone will. And you go in and you get big bags of the greens and uh, that they're tr- they've trimmed. And also a lot of produce comes in where it's too large to fit in the display space, so they trim it back. Again, you can get all that. For the dogs and cats, remember, in nature, everything is eaten raw. If you were to take a shark and feed it uh, grilled tuna, it wouldn't live 100 years. It would be dead rather quickly. We need to have more enzyme raw food in the diets with healthy oils. It is the quality of the oils that helps with the immune system, the coat, the skin, the vision, and also enzymes helping with the kidney and the liver and the heart. So I make up a health drink every morning for my dogs. I put some raw organic organic, uh, color oil on it and it's terrific for them, but it also has fruits and uh, of different types, not citrus, but berries, and they love it. And the dogs live a long life. The same, I have a 20, uh, 21-year-old cat, and she is just as healthy and vibrant as you could imagine, but she is not fed um, anything except raw fish, and she goes out and hunts at night, and she comes back in the morning, She's caught, whether it is a a rat, which is generally a palm rat. She'll catch a palm rat or whatever critters she can find. We, We have to spend more energy on living foods for the animals. For example, I know people have horses and they love their horses, but they hurt their horses because they give them oats and they give them grains and they give them uh, molasses and sugar uh, grain. Horses should be eating grass. All hoofstock need grass. I, When I bought my ranch in Texas, um, I heard from one of the guys who was doing work there that there was uh, 52 horses that hadn't been fed in a long time. They were dying, and uh, some of them couldn't get up off the ground. And the vet who I spoke to said he was just going to euthanize them all. He inspected them, said they're all, they're all, they have mange, they have everything wrong. Their gums, their teeth, their bones, they're just, look at, look, they've lost all their weight. Their skin's hanging off of them. It's the, say, it's the most humane thing. And I said, no, it's not the humane thing. The humane thing is to try to bring life back, not take it. Well, you can. I said, you, you're right. You can't. You're wrong. I can. So I went to work on them. I uh, got compressed chlorophyll, which um, a Kansas farmer had done back in the Great Depression and found that the fresh shoots of wheat when they come up in the spring are what the animals love and they thrive on them. And so I started giving those every single day. 
and then gave them, uh, I, they couldn't even chew the carrots. I had to make them into a mash and, and feed them. But within a year, every single one of those 52 horses were healthy, got all their weight back, their health back. The vet was just shocked by this. And then I found them a home up in Canada where they could spend the rest of their life on a big, um, gigantic um, ranch that had open pastures. After that, all kinds of animals started being dropped off. And uh, you name it, I, I would get it, and I would heal it and get it back into the wild or find it a home. Buffaloes also. I found 46 buffaloes homes and some Scottish long-haired cattle. By feeding them what would normally be in nature, grasses, wildflowers, wild herbs. And it's interesting, some animals know which wild herbs to eat when they have parasites. So that's the way. Getting the food out of a can or dry kibble, you're, in my opinion, you're cutting your pet's life in half. So that's how I would approach it. Are you still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So that's okay. the advice. It brings up what you say brings up other questions like fish. The problem with fish now is there any fish that you can feed any animals or even sardines, whole sardines. They're still they're still okay despite the radiation and yeah, the. Yeah, acidic- I haven't seen. I, I look constantly for the larger the fish are the ones you want to stay away from. Right. Uh, but the small sardines, uh, and a lot of the sardines are caught in the Mediterranean. Those are your best. So your your cat gets all sardines all the time. We can't let our cats out here because there's coyotes here. So that's they have to stay in the house. Okay. The dogs, um, they don't have to eat meat. Is that right? I've had vegetarian. I've actually put my dogs on a vegetarian diet, but I you have to be very careful about the amount of oil, and you have to have the right blend of amino acids. Otherwise, they can end up getting really painful joints, and they don't. Uh, they, they don't have the right muscle development. So you can do it. It is possible. You cannot do it with a cat. Uh, but you have to have whole grains and sprouts. You have to have chlorophyll. You have to have a full and a lot of the different oils that they need. And they need more oils uh, than people realize. Most time they don't get any oils. And they need vitamin E. That's crucial for them. And even coenzyme Q10. All There's right, Stuart, not really... We, you're, I'm, I'm going to give you one opportunity to say anything about the commentary I gave because you said you had some thoughts on it. I'll give you 60 seconds. Oh, okay. Um, well, it was about the homeless issue because I'm in an area that um, has a, a forum where people talk to each other through this website, and this homeless issue has been very big. Some people are saying how... There's all these encampments all over the place, which I've never really seen. And I just wrote a letter yesterday. I said that I haven't really read all that's been written. I don't know exactly what's going on with people's attitudes, but I wonder if this is about compassion for these people, for helping them out, especially knowing that a lot of them have been foreclosed on and had to leave their homes, or is this about just hating these people? And wanting to get rid of them. I just put that question out there because it's all of a sudden it's been a big issue around here. I believe here. it is fear because when we had the crisis of people's home foreclosure, 
with an average of four people per home, we had five million homes foreclosed on. That's 20 million people. The majority of those people were able to be absorbed into their relatives' homes or friends. I know one physician that was actually living in the basement of one of his buddies' homes uh, for over two years. And it's called couch surfing. And it's a phenomenon that no one's paid attention to. But I went out and actually filmed it. I mean, I went into people's homes. I interviewed. I, I spent more time filming on the homeless than any documentary I've ever done. And you'll see the results in about two months when it actually, the feature film actually is, is out. And what I feel is this, and I'll, this is a good example. And it doesn't matter where in America you're discussing this. In Titusville, Florida, near Cape Canaveral, an affluent area because you have a lot of people work for the space industry there, including NASA. There is a person who, I wasn't able to find him, but he bought a piece of land. It's a, not a large piece of land. I'm going, to, I'm going to guess it's three acres. It may be a little more or a little less. It's very dense with overgrowth. There's no utilities, but he allowed some homeless vets to stay there. But to get to it, you have to walk through a neighborhood. Just kind of visualize a cul-de-sac in your normal suburban environment. But at the end of that cul-de-sac, there's a little road that goes back into a forest, and that's where people stayed. My first day of filming there, I got there at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I, uh, I saw people still asleep in their tents, and the tents were little uh, children's tents. There was no adult tent. And as a result, half their body was inside, and half their body was outside. And you could see the mosquitoes all over their legs. And they had nothing. They had no electricity, no latrines. Now, to their credit, even though at some of the sites there was a lot of drinking of beer, uh, some doing drugs, all of them were damaged merchandise. But one man was typical. Uh, he had his clothes neatly folded. He would go each day, take a two-mile walk, to the ocean, and then he would um, wash his clothes. It was interesting. He said he washed his clothes in the ocean because there was no other place to wash. So he'd go in like he was swimming, but he would suds everything down, and then he would come out and go under where you wash off the sand of your feet, and that's where he would rinse everything, himself included, and that's where he took a shower. And that's where there's a bathroom facility. Then he would come back, and everything would dry out except when it was rainy or except when it was cold. When I was there, it was 40 degrees. And one guy was sleeping in a T-shirt at 40 degrees and was kind of curled up in a fetal position. And when I interviewed him, you'll see this in the film, he goes through neighborhoods and tries to find um, a, an orange here or an orange there. He takes a few pieces of fruit to eat each day uh, so that nobody will notice and I said, why don't you get a job? He's, and then that led to a whole thing where they all to go each morning before sunrise to try to get work. But there is no work for them. The moment they mention and show their idea that they're a vet, nobody wants to hire a vet. They think all vets coming back from war are damaged merchandise. So nobody wants them. Even though there's work and other less qualified people, a lot of these guys have skills. So when you're rejected by society and you're rejected by the VA, and the VA is just one complete corrupt mess. Some of these guys, because of their vaccines, they got botulism and anthrax vaccines. They've had terrible side effects. They have Gulf War syndrome. 
they have neurological damage, they have lesions on their bodies, yet the Veterans Administration says, well, it's not service-related, and still in this denial that uh, that Gulf War syndrome is real. So they have that. And then they're not treating them for post-traumatic stress. They're just all given drugs. Suicide rate is astronomical. So then after I got their story, I went to the neighbors. I went every single place, and I said, you know, there's some homeless vets out here. Oh, yeah, we don't want them here. Have they caused any damage? Have they broken in? Have they stole anything? Have they hurt anybody? Have they caused conflict, fights, rapes? No. Um, why don't you want them? Well, man, it's creepy. We don't want homeless people around us. What if it was your neighbor beside you for 20 years and they lost their home because they lost their job and they wanted to sleep in their van at the end of the road? Would that be creepy? Yeah, man, it's just the whole idea that, you know, uh, hey, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, they don't have a place, but I don't want them on my street. That was 99% of the comments I got. I even have in the film a man sitting on a curb. I got down in the street and I shot up over him to a plaque on a Florida University uh, campus of a science building and then of a sports building that he built for $100 million. He went broke. He's been living without anything. He's 75 years old in his in his caretaker's garage. And yet I said, but you know, every university, campus university, sets aside housing for their faculty. Surely if you gave a $100 million donation, they'd find you a room. He said, I tried. I'm not faculty, and they didn't want to make any exception. This is the moral decay of America. The middle class, the upper middle class, the gated community class, if you're not of their class, they're threatened by you. You represent something they're not familiar with, so go away. And that's why we're saying this. Hope that answers your question. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Donna from California. Hi, Donna. Your turn. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so glad to talk to you. And this is such a dumb question, but here goes anyway. You know, from California, we gotta be, we got to be on the outer edge. <laughs> Um, how, uh, how do we thank you for all the incredible amount of healing and goodness you send out to us constantly? Well, thank you. I appreciate those nice comments. Simply share, oh. if you find anything that you're given helps you in any way that has value, share it with others. The idea is if you have a gift, give a gift. The gift of insight, the gift of passion, the gift of knowledge, the gift of empowerment, because... When we're given something by other people, that can empower us. And that empowerment can make a difference. So that's all. Just share with others, okay? Okay, thank you. And thank you for remembering us out here. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I just communicated with Roy Tuckman today. You know, Roy? Oh, wow. Yes, I love him. And he said that they're averaging about $23,000 a day on KPFK. Uh, a year ago, about a year ago, when I left the station, and I left for a simple reason. I no longer wanted to support the station because I didn't support its management. I didn't support its programming. I didn't support its producers. I didn't support ACT UP. I didn't support what I considered the, the lack of ideals that Lou Hill, the founder of Pacifica, represented. And after 31 years, six hours a week, 
that's a long relationship. But I said, it's time that I no longer enable these people by keeping them afloat. Let them keep themselves afloat because they don't respect my audience. They don't respect you, Roy. They don't respect me. Why should we be in any relationship where there is not respect? He agreed. And so I said my goodbye graciously. Didn't even say. I just left and let Roy tell the audience what he wanted to tell them. We used to raise $85,000 a day. They're now averaging twenty, two to 23000 a day. It's reality time. Bad programming and an absolutely shrunken audience, virtually disappeared audience, non-existent audience. Maybe then people wake up and realize there's a lot of other mediums. You don't have to stay attached to any negative relationship in this world when there's so many positive ones you can align with. Thanks for your call, Donna. Sure enough. Thank you. Bye-bye. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And and let's say hello to Lou Ann Panessi, who always has questions from people in the audience. She'll be our last caller. Hi, Lou Ann. Hello, Gary. Well, I have uh, an email here from Brian from Long Island. He sends me an article from the Huffington Post on Dick Cheney and his daughter Liz, describing them as being, um, to the letter, antisocial personality disorders. And um, they go on to talk about the the utter uh, blatant conflict of interest in with Dick Cheney's behavior. And the question he has is, do you think that it's possible to vote Democrats and Republicans like these out of office and bring in real leadership to temper or overtake these evil people and their corporate giants? Everyone sees that President Obama, Obama is a spineless amateur of a leader on every matter. No, I do not. I do not see any major change whatsoever because those in power have they have immunized themselves from responsibility. They can do insider trading in Washington that is a crime where anyone else do it and they get away with it. So when they allow themselves the opportunity to be held harmless for crimes against humanity, when no one had to be responsible, no one took responsibility for all the illegal wiretapping, for killing 500,000 children through sanctions in 1991, through the false claims of weapons mass destruction, by supporting with massive social welfare the corporate state, and where now they become draconian. No, there's no way you're going to get anyone who has an honest agenda for the American public. What we have to do is start working at the state level to get more state rights back and then individual community rights and the only way we do that is we get off their grid. What good does it do to send someone to Washington when, while you're sending that person to Washington to do your battle, you're shopping in their Walmart. You're buying their Tommy Hilfinger or Calvin Klein jeans. You're watching their television programs, listening to their radio programs, buying their newspapers and magazines, and watching their reality show. You're eating their food, driving their cars, shopping in their stores and banking in their banks, using their oil and gas. Exactly then what type of change do you think is going to happen? Change will not happen in Washington. It can't. It is completely corrupt. It's like Rome at the height of its imperial overreach and its decline. It's all putrid. So change your own life one-on-one, join with others, and then uh, work for changing at the local level, the grassroots level. I don't see anything happening at the national level. Thanks for your call. 
Okay. I'm Gary Knoll. We're out of time. Thank you all for listening. I look forward to sharing more on our next program. Have a nice day.